Welcome to Mill City Church. Let's pray together. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we're so grateful whenever we could be gathered uh, to be in the 10th school year of worshiping here in this room and in this school. God, we just want to say thank you today and this whole month for everything that you've done through this church and in this community and beyond. Uh, we're so lucky to be part of it. We're grateful to you for not only your mercy and your forgiveness and your love in our life, but giving us work to do, purpose uh, to be part of something bigger than ourselves. God is so amazing. So we're grateful to you and we honor you as the leader of our church today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, like I said earlier, my name is Stephanie and I'm one of the pastors. And who are you? My name is Jim. Don't confuse the new people. Sorry. My name is Michael. I'm a pastor here too. And uh, Michael and I have been serving together as co-pastors here at Mill City for 10 years. Is this how this is going to go the whole time no, where you stop not, sentences no, no. and I'm supposed to fill them in? <laughs> is that not what we I were doing? I don't remember. That was oh, part shoot. of the plan. Throw okay. it out. All right. Michael and I have never done this together before. <laughs> That's a true story. We have trained people before. We have done lots of leadership trainings and talked to groups, but we've never used the sermon time at Mill City for the two of us together. And we thought to prove that we're not hitting 10 and then just riding it out. We're going to keep doing new things. We are doing this together. So pray. That's why we think the sermon should be over by <laughs> halftime of the football game today, yeah, right? Right. So uh, if somebody who's wearing a purple jersey or whatever can just let us know. Anyway, so no, in all honesty, uh, it was really something we felt like we should do this together. We are going to take the next four Sundays to celebrate the 10-year birthday of Mill City by telling the story of the, the, the first 10 years by talking about where Mill City is at at present and then looking forward to what God's doing and how we feel like God's leading us. Um, the covenant members have been a part of these conversations, so it won't be anything new to them. But maybe for some of you, it will be new information. And we're so excited to share this story. And when we thought about doing the, the Sunday on looking back, we thought it made the most sense for us to do that together. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to tell the story of Mill City from the first 10 years in four chapters. Okay. Yes. Yeah, quickly. Four, quickly. Four real quick fast, chapters. Real fast, real fast. And, and the reason we chose that structure is because we wanted to have a way to say, this is primarily God's story. It's not a story about some people who had some really great ideas for a new church and started a new church. It's about God, clearly God leading a group of people over a period of a decade to do things that we never could have thought of ourselves. So each story has God as the primary actor and illustrates how God has led us over this course of time. Absolutely. So whether you've been around Mill City for one month, one year, five years, 10 years, this is the story that God has written, but it's for you. It's about you. It's your story. It's not Mike and Steph's story. It's God's story, and it's about you. And it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for God wanting you all to be here and be a part of it. So we're so grateful. So whether some of these stories are looking back, we got a few pictures and stuff. So there's some pictures from some of you eight or 10 years ago, five years ago, last week. We'll see. As we go along. So we also have a little timeline that you'll see. Now, it might be difficult to read the details of the timeline, but that's helping us kind of look at the timeline. We'll have it available for you online if you want to look through the little timeline of some of the big things that have happened. But there's way more that could be that could possibly be on there. So here's the thing. We have two passages of scripture. When we thought about the, the ways that scripture has influenced Mill City Church, there was a lot that we could think of. But there were really two that we felt were really, really core to how God had led us to this story. So the first one is in Luke 10, and the second one is in Acts 16. So the first two chapters, we're going to kind of look at Luke 10, and the second two chapters, we're going to see how Acts 16 has influenced that. And so I'm going to start out by reading Luke 10. So if you have a Bible, you can grab that. And uh, if you don't, we're going to have it up here on the screen. 
And I want to read this passage to you. And what I want you to do is just listen to it because we have been listening to this passage for over 10 years to help us discern what it looks like to come into a neighborhood, to come into a community and say, what is God doing? Our first chapter we're calling discovering what God's up to in, or no, our story starts with God. Is it up there? Can you put the title up? Our story starts with God. Okay. So listen, as you hear in Luke 10, the way the story here is starting with Jesus and what Jesus is inviting his followers to be about. Okay. This is chapter, chapter one. I know. It's chapter 10 in Luke and chapter 1 in our story. Don't be confused. Everyone's thoroughly confused, and we're like six minutes in. All right. Woo. It's going well. So far. The whole time I'm going to be thinking, should we ever do this again? So far, probably not. All right. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs amongst wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and you are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for this town. Why don't we start telling the story and then I think it'll be clear why this was such a important passage. Yeah, so Luke 10 really illustrates this uh, sending that Jesus has where he's putting people in vulnerable positions, where these pairs go into these towns. They don't have a place to stay. They don't control what's happening in the neighborhood. They, they have to find peace with people there. They have to find hospitality. Somebody has to welcome into their house. Someone has to feed them. They have to receive from the neighborhood. And when we started Mill City Church, after a couple of years of my wife and I really praying and looking around and asking God, where do you want us to go to help start a new church? We landed on Northeast Minneapolis in large part because it felt like that's where God was telling us to go. God was telling us to go to Northeast because it was a place a lot of different people could live and did live. God was telling us to come to Northeast because there were already churches that were inviting us to come and see what they were doing. And God was even using dreams in my life and some other people's lives to say, this seems like maybe a strange place to go. There hasn't been a church plant in Northeast Minneapolis in a really long time, but this is the place where I want you to go and see if there's any peace there. And uh, so Luke 10 really shaped our posture towards the neighborhood. Instead of thinking that we were coming to bring something to the neighborhood, we were assuming that God was already present. And when you say that out loud, it seems so obvious, doesn't it? Why would you assume that God wasn't present? But lots of time as Christians, and especially in starting new churches, people think, well, we're bringing something totally new or totally different. And that wasn't our posture at all. We were assuming we were supposed to go there because God sent us there, and we were looking for peace and looking for ways in which the the neighborhood would receive us and invite us into their home so we could see the ways in which God might want us to join the work that God was already doing. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I love in that passage, it says that uh, Jesus is going to be out ahead in the sense that the spirit is going to have that peace between you. But then also Jesus is saying places I'm going to go later, this idea that God's going before us and with us and behind us, it made so much sense. And so Michael and some people started praying about what it meant to, to start to come into Northeast Minneapolis. And they were praying that God would be moving the hearts of people so that this would be a community that did that. And so I was one of those people. And what was happening to me is that I was working at Bethel University just in Arden Hills, not far from here. And I was, yep, shout out to Bethel. Been graduated there a couple times. Whoop. Um, and I... The same program or different program? Yeah, they, they, the first time they were like, eh, you better do that again. So, so I was in my second program at the time I was at seminary. And thank you. You know, it's so nice. I was in my second program and um, I was in seminary. And I knew that I felt called to ministry. I'm going to be totally honest and say that I was in that part where I was like, probably anything but local church ministry, cool, God, that kind of thing. That's a long story. Um, but this is what was happening to me. Maybe this has happened to some of you before. Um, I was waking up in the middle of the night, and God was putting things on my heart. And I could not go back to sleep unless I wrote them down and started praying about them, okay? Does that happen to anybody else about anything in their life? Yeah, I know that happens to some of us. It hasn't happened to me very often in life, but it was happening. And I was just thinking, God, what are you doing? Why are you waking me up in the middle of the night? I wrote these things down, and they were all about the local church. So I had a sense that God was trying to soften my heart towards the local church. And I had been... Uh, over at Sanctuary Covenant, learning, watching, not leading anything, just being mentored by their pastors. And God was really working on my heart. And so I met Michael one day, and I had heard about him. I think you had heard about me. We Definitely, heard, I had heard about you. I heard about you, too. Yeah. But I didn't n totally know what he looked like. I don't think you knew what I looked like. I definitely didn't know what you looked like. <laughs> and we almost literally bumped into each other in the hallway at Bethel Seminary at 5.30 where no one was supposed to be there at that time. I think I was sitting at the info booth, even yeah. though I wasn't supposed to be no. there. And you were looking for something, and I didn't know where it was, which yeah. well, don't sit at the info booth if you don't know where anything is. No, I know. And so I walk in there. We got connected at that time. And it was about, I'd say maybe nine months later, that we had gotten to know each other through some classes. He had just finished seminary. I was finishing up. And you said to me, I think we need to talk. Could you talk to me about something? Yeah, let's sit down. And then I told you this kind of crazy idea about starting this church in Northeast. And, yeah. you know, uh, I get to the end of the, my little spiel because we had heard Stephanie speak, Pastor Paul and I from Woodridge Church. And Paul said to me, you better go and get her on your team right away. That's what you need to do. So I went and met with her and said, here's what we're doing. And at the end of it, I said, you know, I'm sure you want to pray about it or talk to people or whatever. And she just kind of looks at me. And now that I know Stephanie, this is pretty classic. She says, oh, I've already been praying about it. I'm ready. Let's do this. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I wouldn't have been praying about it if God wasn't waking me up in the middle of the night. So when we say this is a story that starts with God, we really mean that. Yeah. That there wouldn't have been, that conversation wouldn't have gone that way if God had not been doing that for a few months before Michael and I had that conversation. And I had no idea what exactly he meant by joining in this core team and all the things that were happening. And neither did they. <laughs> it was a, it was, can we trust God to be just ahead of us? And I'm sure that's how these people felt when God was sending people by twos to go into these places and figure out what is God doing? Is this peace resting on this person? What do you mean by shaking the dust off our feet? I mean, it's confusing. I get that. But I think another part of the Luke 10 that really stuck out to both of us is that Jesus never sends people alone, that it's always in twos or in groups. And so I think both of us, God had put on our hearts that what does it look like to lead a community of people as a team? Not just two people, but a whole team, but let's start there, and, and that's where we were, we were at. So, yeah. 
So the listening that work that we did. So if you're if you're assuming that God is already working, then the question is, so how do you name that? I mean, it sort of sounds okay in church, but then actual conversations with real people, how do you say this is what God is doing in this neighborhood? And we had a group of uh, 25 or 30 people. And so we were like, okay, we're going to try to figure out what's happening in Northeast. And we learned to lead with listening and invest presence in the places that people were already gathered in the neighborhood and ask the questions, where is God at work? And how might we be invited to join in with that? And that really helped us get into the second chapter of Mill City's life, which we're calling Discovering What God Was Up To. So we were... We were clear that God called us, and then we had to go and listen and spend time and invest presence to find out, well, what do what does joining God's work in Northeast Minneapolis really look like? And that was a little bit confusing to people because that importance to us to start with listening meant that we didn't actually have a worship service right away. It was over six months of us gathering together, praying together, serving the community together, listening, at, doing interviews, asking people questions, joining in, not telling anybody that we were doing anything, but a community of people that we call a gathering, ecclesia, a church. And we're coming to this neighborhood and people would say, well, where's your church? And we'd say, well, we're here right now, <laughs> wherever we were at that time. But soon God began to lead us to say, okay, what would it look like to have a Sunday gathering? We knew that was something we were going to do, but we were waiting for the right time. And so in 2009, around leading up to Easter, we had our first couple worship services, and Sheridan was the first community partner that we had. We could tell you a whole story about how we ended up coming to connect with Sheridan, but it wasn't easy is what we would probably the most important thing to say, that I think we were actually told no, and there was a sense that we had to say to the school, hey, we really do want to serve you. We're not going to come in and tell you what you need to do, but we want to come with a serving posture and come and be a partner with you. And then we were discovering, okay, what other partners might God have for us? And we ended up with two more partners. So Sheridan was the first one. Their hospitality right away was amazing um, for, for in so many ways, obviously, leading to now, the hospitality for the last 10 years. And then the second community that we connected with was the Little Kitchen Food Shelf that's supported by Grace Community Lutheran Church. And uh, being able to be a part of that food shelf got us connected with who had needs in the neighborhood and the community. And we began to serve with them. Once again, not telling them what they needed to do, coming and saying we'd love to serve and help. And turns out when you're somebody who's running an organization that needs a lot of volunteers and you say we have some people that might want to help, they start crying. So that's the kind of stuff that happened when we said we'd love to help. And then the third community that we connected with was Claire Housing, which is a home for people with HIV AIDS who also live at the poverty level and we're still connected to that community. They have uh, apartment buildings throughout Northeast Minneapolis and Minneapolis proper. And that was a really cool story because they were looking for somebody to help with a really unique project to help their residents over the Christmas season. They asked the Northeaster, the neighborhood newspaper, do you know any church or community group that might be willing to come and help us out? And for some reason, the Northeaster said us. I mean, we'd talk to them, but it was just a crazy cool thing. So we felt like that was God inviting us into that relationship with them. And so we stepped in with these partnerships and uh, have been developing and deepening those partnerships for the last 10 years. Another example of listening your way into figuring out what God was doing was um, what has now become an amazing organization called the Sheridan Story, named after this school. But the origin of the Sheridan Story's mission was uh, me going to these meetings at, here on the site council at Sheridan School, where they invite community members to come to once a month to talk about what the school's doing, what the budget is, what its priorities are. And I was going to build relationships with the principal and other folks. Long story very short, um, 
after one of these meetings, which weren't always the most compelling meetings, if you've been to any meetings like that in your life, after the, afterwards the principal came up to me and kind of, you know, grabbed my attention and said, listen, we got kids in our school, the school that you're sitting in right now, who steal food on Fridays from the cafeteria after lunch because they're not sure if they're going to have enough food to eat on the weekend. And then she said to me, uh, and this is after being super skeptical about having us in their building. She said, do you think there's anything the church could do about that? And because for the better part of three years of my life, I had tuned my ears and my whole spiritual life on does God have something for us to do in Northeast Minneapolis? Is there a way that we can be part of something that God wants to happen? When she said, when the neighborhood invited us into a challenge that they were already facing, I said, I don't know, but we're going to try. And so that, that started us saying, well, this is the way we've been invited to address one of the needs the school has. Uh, can we figure this out? And uh, Rob Williams and Jenny Kane and a whole host of other people started working on how could we feed a kindergarten class every weekend by dropping food in their lockers. And we went through iteration after iteration and red tape and cost structures and fundraising. And this fall, like this weekend or sometime this month, the Sheridan Story as a nonprofit organization will now deliver its two millionth meal. Two million meals. Isn't that unbelievable? And here's the way, the way I love to tell the story is that it wasn't because Rob, who's an incredibly gifted leader, sat in a room and said, let's create a strategic plan to feed a lot of kids. It seems like they're hungry kids. It was because God told the church to listen to the neighborhood and the neighborhood said, here's where we're really feeling pain. Can the kingdom of God bring any solution to this? And now there's been 2 million meals delivered. Can you believe that? That's just out of a group of people being willing to say, let's honestly listen and expect that God has something better in mind than we can come up with on our own. Amazing. So there's over 85 or 90 churches partnering with schools here in the Twin Cities, which is incredible. Um, so during this whole chapter two, there's people coming, joining in a part of our community. We're serving this community, but loving our community in the name of Jesus was also, and that's been our mission since the beginning, was also this community that was forming. And that was some of you. And so I want to tell one more uh, Luke, Luke 10 story. And that story is about Liz, who's sitting right here. I don't even think Liz knows the entire backstory. So I'm about to tell you the short version, but I did ask Liz's permission if I could tell the story. So we never sent out any postcards <laughs> or uh, paid for any advertising besides Google searches um, because we were hoping that God would bring the people that were from this neighborhood and if they were from outside of this neighborhood that they would have a heart for this part of the city, which is all of you. And we're so grateful. And so one time, one day I was with some people and we listened to Luke 10, the thing I just read. And we were listening to it and we said, what if we asked God to show us this week somebody, some people who we could say peace to this house? Not like that, but we could offer peace to and see if the peace returns to us. We call these people of peace. And so uh, eight of us women were going to pray about it. And then two days later, uh, Liz and her mom, Deb, came up. I think Deb came up to a neighbor. They were, the group was meeting in this house, and these, these guys lived next door, and said, hey, uh, next Tuesday at 4 o'clock, do you know any people that would help us unload a car because of some medical reasons we can't unload our car? And that was the exact time frame that group was going to meet the next week, the exact group that was listening to Luke 10. 
And so the eight of us said, yes, we will absolutely help you move your stuff in. It wasn't even that much stuff. And so we showed up and Liz was pregnant with her daughter, Luna, who just went to kindergarten. And uh, these guys were moving into the house next door to some of our friends who still live there. And so we were coming in and we said, what are we going to do? We're going to follow these instructions. So we didn't bring anything with us, just our hands. And we carried stuff into your guys' house. And then uh, your mom made some food for us. You asked for a bunch of food. We didn't ask for any food. But she made some food for us. And I was like, that's what it says in the Bible. They're going to give you food and you need to eat and drink whatever they give you. But your mom made these amazing baked beans that had pork in them. And a couple people were doing like the casual vegan thing at the time. And I was like, you guys have to eat it. It's in the Bible. And it was really tasty. So they were like, okay, I guess I have to. No, they we ate the food. It was excellent, and I think it was, it was so casual fun. Casual vegan. Casual wasn't... vegan. That was the casual part That's of the okay, vegan. Yeah. yeah, I won't say who that was, but they know who they are. Anyway, very long story short, here Liz, a part of our worship team. I think it was within one weekend we dedicated Luna up here on the stage as little baby, and then we baptized you and your mom the next Sunday. And that's because we listened to this passage together. I mean, that is genuinely the reason why. Because the commun- the, your first interaction wasn't a postcard or a Google search. It was the church coming over to help you and saying peace to this house. And the peace returned to us. So we kept stepping towards you and your family and your, in this relationship. And last week when I was at your house, Luna said, you're in my family. And I said, yes, I am. And that's, that's how that story works. So there was so many different stories. I could tell that every story of how so many of you came. But that to me came right out of this text. And I just, I love that. I don't think you knew that part, but now you know. We've learned a ton about being able to name and ask uh, about what it is that God might be doing and figuring out how to join into that. And then we've gone through a whole phase of the church's life, which is third chapter is named for called joining God's work. And the more people that joined Mill City Church and started to embrace this way of thinking about being a Christian and receiving God's grace and mercy and forgiveness and salvation, and then stepping into these things that God has in mind for us, we started to realize, well, God's work just isn't only about Northeast Minneapolis. It's also about all the communities that are represented by the people in this room. And we started having really robust conversations about things like the workplace, where you all were saying, well, what do I, what do I imagine God to be doing in the place where I spend a lot of my time, not just in neighborhoods or, or wherever you live, but in, in this work, in this job that I have, and thinking about what God's doing in the lives of those people and in the work that you're doing every single day, and how does that matter to Jesus, and how can you represent Jesus in those spaces And so we uh, use this text from Acts chapter 16 to start thinking about how we live out the calling of uh, loving our community in the name of Jesus, not only in northeast Minneapolis, but in all the places that are represented by your, your lives. Here's how this text reads in Acts chapter 16. It says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word to the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. I like to read this passage just to show how good I am at pronouncing these words. I like whenever you read it, picturing what the Spirit of Jesus, not letting them go in, must have looked like. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. 
On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her house. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So this text, just real briefly, is a really wonderful example, and it's helped us think that if you're sure of your calling, if you know what God wants you to do with your life, but it feels like sometimes you're bouncing from thing to thing and something didn't work out the way you thought it was, maybe that's just fine. Maybe God's redirecting you. Maybe God sometimes prevents us from doing some things that we might think are good, but we actually needed to go a different way. And the story of Mill City Church is just like that. We were sure we were supposed to love our community in the name of Jesus, but we weren't sure how that was going to work out. We didn't know who our partners would be or what the communities would be like or how people would respond. So I kind of feel we've been bouncing from place to place looking for people of peace and folks who want to be part of what we're doing this whole time. And, and that's what we're going to continue to do as we explore what's next for us. Yeah, sometimes you're, you have a vision of a man from Macedonia, but it turns out to be a woman in the fashion industry. I mean, you know, but the whole idea is that God's inviting you to join in and, and try to follow and, and join in what is happening. And so what we realize is during this chapter of joining God's work, we wanted to encourage everybody to do that everywhere that they spend their time, but also figure out how we can help people gather together to do that in groups together. And so that's when missional communities really began in that, in that chapter of Mill City's life, where we said, what about groups of people who want to gather around a specific mission? And then they turn into people just like these guys in Acts 16, trying to go places and the spirit of Jesus doesn't let them. And then they're like, oh no. And then they figure out, oh, we had a dream about this. We start going in a direction and then we find a, a woman in the fashion industry instead of a, a guy from Macedonia. That's what the missional communities try to do together. It's super messy and frustrating, isn't it? People in missional communities, but we're trying to live out what we see as this theology of listening and responding, listening and responding. So we encourage people to do that in missional communities if they can, or in their families and as individuals as well. There's been a million stories about missional communities that we could tell ways that people have gotten connected in it that's just been only god could write the story the temptation to throw out act 16 and say never mind strategic plan that we're going to make sure we follow would have kept most of these stories from happening do you understand what i mean if, if we would have made a strategic plan 10 years ago it would not have included connecting 85 schools to 85 churches the strategic plan would have been too small or getting the neighborhood to pay for parties at uh yeah locations to help people who whose voices aren't normally heard to come out and I think give was, their opinion. I think we were given $2,000 to throw a party by you the neighborhood. We threw a sweet party yeah, for $2,000. it was amazing. It was incredible. And being able to connect with people in so many different ways, the Nuestro Puente missional community was able to, uh, they, their mission is to build a bridge between uh, the greater community and the Latino community. And a big part of that bridge that's needed is language. They ended up being people who were the main translators for a major community issue that was happening here with affordable housing. And that was because they listened and responded to God. Uh, tell the story, the brief story of the devoted yeah, this group called Devoted is focused on reaching out to people, to women who were caught up in the sexual slave trade or in sexual trafficking in some way. Uh, and they started off with a prayer walk down Central Avenue. And most of them, I think when they gathered in the Wells Fargo Bank parking lot, thought, I don't really even know how to do a prayer walk, and I'm not sure what this is supposed to produce. But as they walked around, they really felt drawn to one part of Central Avenue. 
And that ended the, started them on a journey to figure out that there were some women who were uh, really being used and uh, working in the sex industry. And they reached out to them and they reached out to the city and they ended up being used by God to help the city identify that this was a problem all over the city and an ordinance was passed to help uh, make it possible for body workers to have licenses to legitimize their, their business and help differentiate between the illegitimate businesses. And this is all this missional community just started walking around the neighborhood wondering what God might be doing and who needed to be uh, reached out to and expressed love. And, and it's really transformed the city in lots of ways. So that comes to chapter four, which we titled Equipping and Sending God's People. Um, I think this is something we've been doing the whole time, but there has been a really significant shift over these last couple of years of what it looks like for us to be equipped, meaning have the tools and resources to join in what God's saying to us, that we all ask the question, what is God saying and how do we respond? And if we don't have what we need to respond, how do we get those tools and resources? How do we overcome those barriers that we might have? How do we look for what God's doing in our in our workplace. Sounds like a good idea, but how do we do that? And we've been focusing a lot of energy and strength and how we might be able to equip, be equipped to go into these places as missional communities, as individuals, as a whole church and send people out. We also sent a bunch of missionaries over these last few years to different parts of the world that we still support financially and in prayer. And we've sent people to other cities in the U S and it's heart wrenching, but also amazing to be a place of sending for people. As we all get sent out across the street and across the cubicle every single week, we're sending these people across the world. And uh, Equipping Hour came in last year of saying, how do we really focus? We've been doing classes kind of willy-nilly. I haven't said willy-nilly in a long time. We've been doing classes willy-nilly. And that, then we were saying, what if we just focus it on Sunday morning? And that's been great. And so many of you responded last year saying you had more tools that you felt like you really needed. And so we're going to continue to do that. Uh, we've had some areas that we focused on over these last few years of equipping, like we mentioned, um, what it looks like to have unity and diversity, what it looks like to participate in racial justice, how to engage with people on the margins, how to share the gospel in our neighborhoods, how to be people who share the gospel in our workplaces and live that out, not just share it with our words, but also our actions. This has really been what it's about. And the commons, the Mill City Commons has been a huge part of that because that is our building that we have throughout the week because we're really only here on Sunday morning. And that space has been used for so much equipping, for training, for meetings, for the occasional baby shower or wedding shower too, but for so many things. And that's why it was so important that it was accessible to everybody because we really wanted everyone to be there. And that's what makes the celebration. I think we've got some pictures of the, the commons. Can you put that up? The Commons Project, it's almost, it's completely done except for the grass is just this much, but come see it next week and you can see it in all its glory. But that's been a huge project because we wanted everyone to feel like this is a place that they can come to be sent out from. That's all I got. Let's invite the band to come up. Are we going to end on time? I think we're going to end on time. We have one minute. Let's invite the band to come Get up. Get up your band. Um, let me just finish this first time by saying, it, um, I think for me and for Stephanie, uh, for my wife, Carissa, and for many of you who have been here since the beginning, it's a really fun and kind of emotional month to be able to look back. And we really want to hear from all of you what your celebrations are like, uh, whether you've been at Mill City for a week or 10 years. We'd love to hear your stories and to get the chance to celebrate those over the next 10 years. I'm, I'm so confident when I say it's been such a privilege to be part of something that God clearly had planned out. And oftentimes when people say to me or others who are leading this community, so what's next? Like, what are we doing for the next five years? My normal answer is, well, I really have no idea.
Because if I would have told you that five years ago, none of the things we just described would have been in that story. So what we're going to do is we're going to just keep treating God as our leader and listen to the Holy Spirit and see what happens next. And everybody's invited, uh, invited to join into that. Uh, as we celebrate communion today, what we hope for you is that you feel included in this story, that each and every week when we celebrate communion, uh, Jesus is offering us again his body and his blood and his sacrifice, which connects us relationally to God, forgives us for the things that we've done wrong that have separated us from God and gives us a a fresh chance to go back out into the world and be part of the thing that God wants us to do. Uh, And so as the communion servers come forward and they're playing this next song, you can just come down, especially if you're new to Mill City. Here's how we do this. You can grab a piece of gluten-free bread and dip it in the juice and then just walk back to your chair this way. And there'll be some people around on the walls to pray for you as you go back. If you'd like to stop and pray for them, feel free. Uh, We practice this every week at Mill City Church, which is something we've been doing for a little more than a year as a way to remind ourselves of really what's core to our faith is what Jesus has done for us. Uh, And because of what Jesus has done for us, we get to be part of the ongoing work of God and God's kingdom. We get to love our community in the name of Jesus for 10 years and hopefully so many more. Thank you, guys. You want to pray? Oh, yeah, I'll pray. And then I'm going to give you your microphone back. Jesus, we thank you for the privilege that it is to join in your work in this neighborhood and beyond for 10 years. And we do pray for so much more. We pray that the mission of this church would go on beyond the life of any of us here, that people would be coming to this place, recognizing you're already here, inviting them to join in. May this church be a vehicle for your mission that is willing to step into risky things and hard things and confusing things with courage because you, Jesus, have given it to us, and we owe you all the glory and honor and praise because what you've done on the cross is what's made it possible for us to truly love our community in your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.